Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This episode we're chatting with Mark LeBroy from Three Blue Ducks about the evolution from one venue to seven, relationship dynamics in the team and about his passion for hunting, fishing and sustainability. Mark LeBroy, thanks for joining us on The Food Fight. Everyone's really excited here in the church in Thoreau. Super our excited. Home, home, yeah, home country, home it's turf. Cathedral. It's the first time we've done it at my place. It's it is, yeah. over at Simon's if we're doing what a, background. a local it's one. It's been a long time in the making, though. Yeah. We're like to and fro. Hey, man, would you come? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I know, Just and we haven't gone for a dive or a fish or anything yet either, so no. thought that'd be a good icebreaker, but that's all right. We'll get to know you through the podcast, mm. and then we can do the rest see, later. See if you still want to go fishing after. Yeah. <laughs> Test. Um, how's, the, how's things going at the moment, mate? How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Um, we, have a young, we have a young daughter. She's 10 months old, so that's obviously like completely changed the dynamic of home, and mm. like, I think it also throws a huge amount of perspective into you know how do you how do you transition from like being so driven and motivated and ambitious towards like with with creating business and then you have another hat where you're a father and a husband and you want to make sure that you that you do that you're playing that role well you want like if you, you want to be the best that you can obviously and then there's this other life that arrives and they're so reliant on you and your, your partner and you also want to give them the time and then there becomes this whole time management thing that comes yep. into play that I've never really had to deal with before. Yeah. Mm. I've been able to like, if I'm interested in something, I completely, you know, you know, become so infatuated with it and now I'm having to learn how to yeah. compartmentalize life. And yeah. How to do that. You're always kind it's of actually a big fucking lesson. To learn. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like as a chef, you're always just like, I'll just work more if I've got more to do. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Kind of, it's not like oh, I'll try and get this all this work done in that in that short space of time. It's like I'll just do more hours. That's like generally the solution. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's turning into like there is a human that needs your input and needs your time, and there's certain hours in which they operate, and mm. you need to operate within their hours. And if you don't, you miss out. Yeah, and if you miss out, you feel shit. Yeah, so mm. it's like yeah, it's, there's been a lot to come to terms with. So, what is what does like work-life balance look like nowadays? Like you've got seven venues and a family and 
I take it you're not on the pans as much as you used to be. No. So like, and I mean, seven venues across three states. What does like what does work look like? It's a good question, actually. Um, where where and a TV also, show? Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah. media <laughs> stuff. This is super important Pod, podcast. This super important podcast um, is going to shoot you to stardom. Your your, more, your big break. <laughs> more of these. <laughs> Dad, if you're watching, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, work is changing, and the the interesting thing about the, the like the journey that we've been on with the darks is that I've you know as a chef you're a technician you know your your work list compiles of like a, a series of of short and medium term um deadlines and then when you move more into the business development side of things what do we pl- what are we planning as a business what do we want to try and achieve um they become those do- those like deadlines become extended out three months six months you know what happens next year what's our five-year plan all that sort of stuff so you, you really have to change your, the way that your brain works because it's always been like it's a prep list mm-hmm. you know like do the fucking do the potatoes you know trim your beef you know like fish and it, it doesn't rely on anyone else either to, yeah, like, to reply to an email or it's that governing of a team yeah you know and and you and when you're in there and you're completely absorbed, it's really easy to motivate other guys. You can have a good laugh, but then there's all this other stuff that, that comes into it now. So essentially in a nutshell, I would, you know, I'm responsible for like, you know, the creative direction of a couple of the venues of Three Blue Ducks. Um, I do a lot of the setups, I design the kitchens, and then the, I'm, I'm in charge of a couple of venues. So we split the venues between Andy, Daz and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're responsible for those venues. So Daz looks after Byron. I, I don't have, I don't tell him what needs to be on the menu at Byron. Yeah. If I think there's something that's not quite right or something that I really like, I'll obviously say, mate, your fucking poor cat's dish is shit hot. I'm loving it. You know? <laughs> or, you know, maybe something needs a, a tweak. And he, and he has the same. And it's very open and it's a very collaborative, you know, way in which we've worked. And I think that that's actually been the real, that's the, that was the spark of Three Blue Ducks in mm. the early days. Um, the fact that it was so collaborative, but yeah, so so now work is like okay, I've, you know, the, the venues that I'm in charge of directly is Nimbo and Melbourne. Yeah, um, Nimbo is halfway between Melbourne. It's a access to some really good hunting property, and the fly fishing is red hot. So <laughs> I, I'm obviously quite motivated to, to stop in there and make sure the menu's going. Just, well. Yeah, just call in, <laughs> just make sure everyone's you know um, there on time. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like it, it's it's you know it's like it's rolling out menu changes. It's you know it's looking about you know making sure that we uphold to the morals that we've set towards ourselves, the ethics that we have as three blue ducks. Um, and you know, there's there's many staff attached to those venues, so there's obviously the, you know, the issues that come, you know, with dealing with staff and and you know if they want to leave or they want more money or all that sort of stuff, you need to go through that stuff. Um, and then also, you know, like you know, yesterday one of the cool rooms at, at Urban Surf, you know, shit itself, and we need to, you know, it's always a good day. Yeah, just it's always like, a fun day. Like, it's really hard to day. say. What do you do? Well, mm. I, fuck, I actually I don't even know what I do, but it's just <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm finding myself quite busy. Yeah. So, how much of it do you manage from here, and how much do you like are on the road? Yeah. So there's been a lot of time on the road. Um, I, I've got a wife that's extremely supportive, so that's allowed me to be away. But she goes back to studying medicine full time. Right. In two weeks time. Shit. Or three weeks time. So. That is going to be a big change to, to home life. Um, so I've been able to go and do the opening of Melbourne. I've been able to go and do Nimbo and stuff. 
but um yeah i'm able to work i'm able to work and do quite a lot remotely like technology is good we have zoom calls mm. we do conferencing you know and then i can develop a lot of the changes that i'd like to see within the restaurants just over out of my thoughts of home or do you know what i mean mm. and then obviously we have you know weekly meetings that we buzz up to sydney for and all mm. that sort of stuff cool um Let's talk about staff for a sec because something that I'm interested in, maybe you can talk on this too, Simon, but like maybe. specifically in the city, I, like staffing's a whole different kettle of fish now um, with COVID. But did you find having the three Blue Ducks brand meant that you had access to better staff? You had better yeah, applicants and all that sort of stuff? It's interesting. Like I remember when I first started the Ducks because I'm one of the original three yeah. boys that started the Ducks. And, you know, before the Ducks had a reputation at all, I was like every other venue of like, fuck, I need a chef. Where am I going to get you? Like, no. You know, and then some dropkick walks through the door and you're like, <laughs> you're going to last two seconds. Um, and then as we became accoladed, then it, you become a draw card. And then obviously when Daz came on board, like we, you know, we sort of started to really hit our strides. And, and with Daz came a huge amount of credibility based on his, you know, the, the achievements of his career. Um, Andy and Andy ended up being just this dark horse that, you know, he has he has an amazing ability to to learn and to pick things up extremely quickly, and he, he'd be successful in anything that he tries. He's, he's really sharp as well. Um, so, but no one ever could have you know seen the future that uh, he'd be in the position that he's in at the moment, which is which is fantastic for us as a business. So, but, did he come on as a? staff member like how did he, he came on like so he won master chef on yeah it was a year that we were on there um and they i was invited to the the celebration episode where you, they reveal who wins and then i, I sh- you know i went up and shook his hand and i said mate when when all the stds wear off <laughs> you know, i had a good laugh with this he's back and on you wanna, now. and you want to and you want to work in a kitchen um give me a call so a couple of months later after he got tired of got tired well, just got tired of fucking hosting cupcake competitions. <laughs> um, he said, hey, Marky, you, I was, I'm thinking about spending some time in the kitchen. And then he came on as a worker and he came up to me. Uh, to We opened a restaurant up in Falls Creek. Yeah. Um, just these little pop-ups. And he was, he was bloody good fun. And he was a lot better than I thought he was going to be. So then on and off for the next couple of years, he was working with us. And then an opportunity arose with Rosebury. And I said to the, I pitched to the other boys that um, I think that Andy's ready, and he probably wasn't ready at the time. But we we're just like we. No we'd one's really ready, does it? <laughs> and then he came on board, and and we sort of went from there. And he's just he's extremely motivated. He's extremely hardworking, um, and just very committed. So you can't ask for anything more. And he's a bit younger, like like I just turned forty. Daz is. He's like fucking fifty odd now. Shit. He, yeah. He, well, he's not. But I'll just say that. <laughs> That's all right. Um, he looks and right. Andy's Andy's early thirties. So <laughs> it's kind of like it's really nice having like the, those the, the guys fresh, are little, up. yeah, just like still very motivated to mm. want to be in the kitchen with the team. And I find that as I've transitioned into fatherhood, uh, the idea of having sweat dropping down my legs every Friday night, you know, on the on the pans or calling the pass is starting to get a bit old have you have you had to sort of has andy had to find a sub for himself with his master chef gig yeah he has he has and, yeah. and you know and we're obviously super accommodating to this and, and understand the, the benefits of having him and, and he's just an, he's an incredible spokesman for mm. three blue ducks mm. 
Like, you could have a fucking drinking game with how many times he drops three blue ducks. <laughs> <in there>. So, <laughs> so um, not bad. Yeah. So he's 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 a he's a very strong representative of, of us as a business and a company and whatever you want to call us. Mm. So. Uh, um, how's things looking with staff these days, especially with uh, oh, Nimbo and stuff like that? Like, was Nimbo Nimbo hard to get get staff for? At Nimbo the was an interesting one because Nimbo came around because. Um, my head chef for Bronte, uh, because she didn't qualify for JobKeeper, she's a French woman, um, she wasn't able to have any support, but there was an, an opportunity through some guys that we knew that we do some weddings with, um, like, and they owned the venue out at, out at Nimbo, and they desperately needed, desperately needed a chef, so I was able to drop her in there. And then over a few short months, you could see that she was like turning the venue around and it was getting, wow. getting all this amazing momentum. And, you know, we hatched this plan about, hey, let's turn this into a three blue ducks. Like, let's make this a regional footprint into the area. Let's showcase what is produced regionally. It's the Riverina. It's like it's, it's phenomenal produce. Yeah. Um, and the fly fishing is really great. Yeah. So it's like it's a very beautiful venue. So it was been... I'm really, really proud of what we've achieved in that small space there mm. and, and, you know, the access that we have to the food and the menu that we've created and, and also Ed May has done an incredible job. Mm. So. Have, have most of your venues come about from having the right person and it goes from there? It's like, I think this person's ready or this person's got an opportunity it, it, and it's kind of evolved yeah, from that? Yeah, I, I think there's two sides. It's like, okay, what do we think is a good opportunity? What fits with us? But then also, like, who's going to do it? How mm. do we do this? Um so yeah, like Nimbo is the perfect example of that. But you also realise that people aren't going to stay in the same place forever. You know, like Edmay's fallen in love, and she now is you know talking about moving. So there's there's going to be an opening available to to run this venue early next year. So <coughs> so like I need to find somebody that's going to be as committed to the cause as what she's been and help to drive that forward. But then also receive the accolades like. I, I don't take anything like it, it, when you get interviewed about Nimbo, it, it, um, you know, we make sure that we push our head chefs of each of the venues into the limelight. So they receive the recognition mm. that they deserve. Like I'm not in there doing the graft week in week. Yeah. Out, yeah. You know, I just developed the menu. Was it hard to get, you know, front of house staff and all the rest out that's of Nimbo? Been, that's been really tricky. Yeah. It's been really tricky. Um, but now we've finally found our groove. We have some, we have some incredible staff there. Like yeah. we're very, very fortunate. And it's like it's country hospitality, so it's very different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, cool. Did, did was there a bit of uncertainty out there as to how it'd go? Like, because well, we uh, had a free run because we could just like she went in there, she had a crack at it. We could see the momentum building, and like, and then I was in Holbrook, like hunting, and yeah. stopped in town to get some supplies, and then. You hear whispers at the local cafe, or you know, Mark from Three Blue Ducks has been here. What are they going to do in the area? There's all this like <laughs> country <laughs> Chinese whispers. The pie shop at the pie yeah, the yeah. Um, and and you're like, fuck, these guys are actually screaming for a venue, mm. you know? Yeah. And and I think it, I think yeah, part of the reason why that venue worked was because we had a free trial at it. I said, yeah, okay. and also frequenting the area as a guest of that area to like to hunt and fish um you're able to sort of put your ear to the ground and find out a little bit about what the local community is asking for and when you hear that your brand or your business is like popping up you're like wow okay well 
Good a sign as any, eh? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty good insider knowledge, just listening to people in a cafe. You get gossip. <laughs> How, like, what's the... I'm just super interested in Nimbo because I want to go there. Um... How much of the how much of the business is like regular trade, and how much of it is it as events and weddings and those sorts it's, of things? It's not so much uh, events and weddings at, at the moment. That, that's yeah. a component of it, and it's a beautiful place to, to be married. Like yeah. d- down by the water, there's this amazing platform, and it's lovely down there. Um, it's regional travel, and I think that yeah, that's right. one of the things that's helped our business in relation to COVID. Probably the only thing um, where we've been able to have, you know some people very interested in like well what's the ducks doing down here so and then also from the locals perspective of Tumut and Gundagai so it's halfway between Tumut and Gundagai mm. uh, two quite nice like township like regional townships and you know you start getting a reputation of being like the best food in the area and 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 they talk about it yeah and, that, and you know it's a special occasion for those guys so yeah it's like it's there's enough people around there to make the trip in it's when made, they... It's a 35-seater. Like, it yeah. doesn't take much right. to fill yeah. it up. Yeah. You know? That's kind of an advantage of, of small towns. Like, there's a bit of a catchment area where if you are the, the better place to eat, you know that everyone who's travelling there is going to come eat at you. Hmm. So that there's there's no there's no like oh maybe I'll go there maybe I'll go there maybe I'll go there it's like well no we're gonna go eat and that there's accommodations the like the place sleeps twenty four so yeah, like yeah, you, it's even better. when it's booked out you you know you like the room, and the rooms are always booked out so, yeah yeah you can book the whole thing out just with your mates for one birthday party or a yeah event yeah or well, something going like that. A bit of fly fishing and yeah. yeah knocking around like the area is so beautiful and you know an hour and a half drive out of there up Tumut on the snowy plants way that's like. That's Brumby country and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. amazing, like, hiking and trails and the fishing has been phenomenal. Yeah? So, yeah. What's your, what's your biggest brown I lost rainbow? A, I, lost a, I lost a nine-pound brown the other day. <laughs> oh, man. In a tiny little stream. He just hosed me like I was nothing. He was, took this is going to be chin. fishing with Steph and Mark now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. just lean back, lean back and learn. Um, <laughs> Back to stuff. Back to stuff. <laughs> back to stuff. Um, hey, so yeah, how are you? Like, well, I think that, yeah. So the biggest issue, the biggest issue now is that we're seeing the end of the visas. People are going home. Mm. There's no new intern of internationals that are interested in being here that get those visa approvals, and our industry is so insanely reliant on that. Yeah. yeah. So without the Frenchies, without the English guys, without the whole bunch of Italians that come through. Uh, uh, industry literally falls over. Mm. Then you see the the market being so driven by building corporations now, where they seize an opportunity, an area becomes gentrified. Millions of dollars have been deposited to sort of do that gentrification. Then they're searching within the restaurant community. Who's the up and comings? Let's give them a restaurant. They pay a percentage of turnover. The value of the property goes through the roof. They borrow again, build again, and mm. it's like. You know what we'll do? We'll put a fucking cafe there. We'll put a restaurant there. And I think that there's too many restaurants. There's, I think, yeah, in a nutshell, there's too many restaurants. The price of food that's on most re- in, on the menu of most restaurants doesn't truly reflect the cost of cost, providing yeah. that food. And there's also a lack of young people that have been driven into the workforce because... When I came through the ranks, we did eighty odd hours a week, and no one fucking whinged about it. You know, like mm. you, you might you might take a month off or two, a couple of weeks off in between jobs when you you know you do a year in a place or two years in a place, and you move on to the next one. You might take a little bit of time out, and and you know and sort yourself out. But you know, we live in a very different time now, 
where there's a big crunch down on mm. hours worked and and I, and I don't i don't think that people should be worked to the bone and i don't necessarily think that that 80 hour stuff is is the way to do it but i also do think that that has taught me a huge amount about myself and discipline and my abilities and you know when you own your own business if you think you're going to do a 40 hour week when you first open the thing you're a fucking joker <laughs> yeah i think that's the thing is like the the breaks are kind of been slammed on the restaurant industry because it was just set up this way of like chefs do like 50 60 70 80 hours um like so we can charge these prices and then which you know isn't 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 right in either way food should cost more and people shouldn't work so much but the brakes kind of been hit on and we've got to try and catch up now and trying to convince the customer that suddenly overnight almost you have to pay an extra you know two three bucks for a dish is hard or even so more, like well yeah it back in the in the 90s you know the the standard business model ran about 20 percent profit yeah and mm. now we're down now to this industry five runs to eight five, five to seven mm. Mm. so and then you see and hear stories of guys who are running theirs on two to three. Mm. It's like, you, you must really love this. Yeah. You know? like I think there's almost a majority that basically run on, they, the owners have a wage and that's it. There's actually no... Yeah, it's, and, it's, and, it's zero and, and my idea of business is not to buy myself a job. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, my idea of business is that, you know, we have people who work for us and, we, you know, we, we're able to grow. Yeah. So... It's interesting because, uh, I don't know... That's what business is. Like business is being a business person. Business isn't being a, a chef that works 80 hours a week yeah. at a restaurant and then does all the rostering and does all, fixes the shit themselves mm. and all that sort of stuff. Do you think it's only in the hospitality industry where people are buying themselves jobs as they are or is there Imagine heaps like of other industries re- where they're doing I it? I don't know of any other industries that, that run on such Some small retail. Pro- like profit I walk past some yeah. shops here and I'm like, they can't make yeah. much money. Yeah, but they yeah. seem like, like they se- like when you someone who's moved down here and retired and they're open and they've got their beach. Yeah, shop. yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah. Man. How many fucking beach beers shops? Do you need <laughs> there's a good one on um, Parramatta Road up in Sydney. That's Mate, there's a beach great one shop. on Moore Street. Oh yeah, beads and dreamcatchers. Yeah, get down there. Oh well, look, it's the rule. It's the rules are and the rules are up and coming place, mate. <laughs> there's a plenty of. Sp- I reckon there's space so for another bead and dream bead, catcher shop bead, in Thoreau. Bead capital of uh, the Illawarra, I believe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> did you see, like, with your experience, did you see this slide from high profit margins to three percent, like you said, occur over time in like your experience in I the industry? You, like, you how did it happen? You don't. Yeah, my journey hasn't really been that. Like, you, my journey into business was like, I've worked for some great people. I've worked for some cocks. And when we decided to open up our own business, it was like, let's do things our way. Let's have an attitude towards business that resonates with us so we can sleep easy. And let's treat, the, let's treat everybody that's associated it with some love and respect. Mm. Oh, don't get me wrong. We've had fallout. I've had fallouts with people, you know, that that I that I, that I you know, I either don't think it's been reciprocated, or, you know, I've I've behaved badly myself in my journey through business. Like I started the ducks when I was, you know, we we started the ducks when I was twenty eight years old. Like, you know, shit when you're twenty eight, you know, and so like I just turned forty. Like you'd, you'd hope that you've had get a bit got a bit more common sense as mm. you as you get on. How how were your like when you first the first three products? How were your prices compared to other cafes? Oh, when, we, you, when you were doing everything kind of the right way, and other people are 
maybe opening a fucking tin or something. Yeah. Like, will your, will your price significantly more? And like, yeah, how like do people I, find I do that? some basic costings and be like, hey, this is what it needs to be. But yeah. then also had like that sort of, you know, that imaginary cap. Yeah. You can know, you sell a like, breakfast oh, yeah, dish? Imaginary for- cap's 20 bucks. Yeah. Imaginary cap creeps to 22 bucks, 23 bucks, yeah. 25 bucks, you know. And then you sort of go, go from there. How did people react to that when you were possibly significantly more expensive than a lot of other cafes? I think that people see you the could value see in it? a very defined difference in quality. Yeah. And I think that we were very lucky that we, we uh, created a business in a time when a new factor to determining value mm. um, or purchase decisions uh, came into the market. And that's like, this, you know, how sustainable is it? It used to be like value for money, quality or price speed you know and then i think now it's like okay so what are the what's the what's the guy's ethics you know and i think that when we we become we've become we've seen the world turn more environmentally conscious Mm. Mm. did you got a way to go but did you did you see that as like was that a business strategy at the start being like yeah we sat around a board room and we smoked well, cigars and we said you know what guys we can see that there's some trends happening with no i mean like if you if you've got those trend trends is going right. oh, yeah. i drew a pie chart <laughs> and it was natural pie. Guy was like, uh, actually man hey, do you have like a real pie he like came, in on a se- hungry. came in on a segue <laughs> and then like someone's out the back putting, putting golf balls into a thing like <laughs> um no but like yeah. were you like well, we're passionate about sustainability and obviously, you know, I mean, the cost, once it's on the menu, reflects the cost of the goods as well. But did you think like, well, you know, this, this, might, turn, this might become, you know, a better business model because we'll be able to charge more because we're going to push this sustainability and, and educate people about why eating here is different to eating at any other cafe and things like that. Like, was that a part of the business decision or was it like... We're just, we just want to do things how we want to do them, like we're, we, we care about we it. Never, we never, ever sat down and discussed. Like, opportunities came our way, and we were like, that sounds fun. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. That sounds us. That's fun. Like, our first branch out from the Ducks was in Falls Creek, and, it was, and we got approached to do it, and we are like, we all like snowboarding. <laughs> Let's go to the snow. Yeah. Who wants to come? You yeah. Know? And like, that's heaps of fun. So, it, it was never like... It, it's 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 quite reactionary like you know, a, an opportunity presents itself and obviously now we get presented with a lot of opportunities and then we say you know do, do we think that we can make this work does this fit in with our brand you know what could we do there mm. and then we do it and it's it's always been about fun like mm. honestly it's always been about fun well, it makes sense i think most chefs kind of like know kind of know what they they would do if they had an opportunity like there's a lot of times, like a lot of times, sort of daydream in a kitchen sometimes, and you'd be like, "What would I do if I had a restaurant?" Or like, "What would I do if that space came open?" Seems like it's, it's, it's a certain person who sits down and goes like, studies the actual statistics and the data, and goes, "Who, who lives there? What should we do? What will make money?" Whereas chefs are kind of more like, "I'll do that. That sounds right. That's right." And you haven't you haven't really got to voice it or communicate. But mm. you need both. Yeah. And, and, well, yeah and, yeah. and now we have. We have both within the group. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's not a smart way of doing it no, at all. It's, it's fucking, fucking stupid. Lose heaps of cash. <laughs> and you like, yeah, it, that whole work-life balancing. You get to mm. a point where you say, you know what, I'm I'm choosing to not work excessively just for the fun of working because your journey is like 
you know, can I do this? Am I good enough? You, mm. there's, all, there's all this doubt, you know. I still get asked to do things. I'm like, fuck, am I good enough to do that? You know, like, <laughs> it, and, and we've, it, like, we've created quite a few venues. I still, like, and Daz is the same. We still question whether or not we're, like, we're good enough to do it. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that sort of makes it continue to work. But you also are like, we have families now. There's mouths to feed. Is you know we need to have a better usage of our time. Mm. Okay, how, how do we get a ret- what's you know what's the return on this? Like, mm. you know, how does that look now? Like we we touched on what business is like getting people to work for you, so you know you can continue to either grow your business or you can find yourself a position where you're working less and having you know spending more time with your family and that mm. sort of thing well that's the goal is that is that, is that what is that like is that what you're doing now are you are, you, are you working towards that now 100 um, percent. yeah like you know the the, the 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 like i think that when you're younger you want to be accoladed you want you want to be recognized for the work that you're doing and i think that all chefs are driven by this because we love those short-term gratifications you make a plate of food somebody eats it they pump your tires up you feel good Mm. you know you make something somebody doesn't like it your world crumbles apart you know there's this (laughs) fucking roller coaster of emotions that's attached to being within this role but we all love that like that ego that's satiated by these little inputs of like of credits you know and Mm. accolade and, and yeah like i said getting your pump your tires pumped up Mm. But as you get older, I think that that doesn't matter so much. You, you, you know, you, you learn more about yourself. You feel more confident, confident and comfortable with who you are. And then I realize that there's, there's bigger areas of growth for me now. And that is like, you know, the, who, what's the man? What type of man am I? Because mm. before I feel like I was a boy and now I do feel like I'm a man. And <laughs> I still think I've got a bit of growing to do obviously like we all do but you know who am i to my partner and who am i to my child Mm. so i I think that it like you need to make space for that and that's why you do want to step back to to do that role well because the way that our society is structured it means that the most influential times of your family's life or your children's life are the greatest times of success and accolade within your career yeah Mm. So, if you don't have your shit right, you can have a fantastic career and your kids think you're a knob. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, it's yeah. kind of like, that's the balance between that. What does that look like practically? Like, now that you've got seven venues and such a well-recognized and established brand, like, is the thought of opening new venues, like, this is going to be shitloads of work that takes me away from my family potentially? Or is it... I want to open a few more venues to get me to a place where I'm, you know, comfortable and can spend the time that I that I want to. And yeah, like I, I think it's the, I think it's the latter. I think it's like you you look at a series of opportunities and you say, okay, cool. How will this venue contribute to the portfolio? Does it fit in with our brand? Is it going to be fun to do? Do we think that it can be? also a draw card you know like you know will will it be successful obviously and then you go okay cool so if there's an you know if there's a bit more revenue that's being generated that all contributes towards like the bigger picture of things 
Like the bigger the portfolio, the more people that are working passively, but the more working, you've got people who are working for you and you, it becomes passive. Yeah. So you create a passive income based on other people's output. Mm. That's, that is the basic principles of mm. business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if there's, there's six of us that own the business, there's many mouths to feed and there's all our families that's attached to that. There's, you know, there's 350 staff within Three Blue Ducks. There's probably 500 plus people who are directly reliant on the success of our business. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's quite an impact now. Like this, that circle of influence is quite large. So we have a responsibility to those people that we make sound business decisions, decisions as well, as well as what we've created for us. It's kind of like in poker, you know, in the early days... When, when you don't have you've got nothing you don't you just don't give a fuck you go hard you bullshit you know and and sometimes you get up and sometimes you lose everything we've been fortunate enough that we've got up but when you become chip leader you don't carry on like a pork chop you mm. know you, you sit, you're careful with your money you need to look at your position you'd be like you know what? i'm in an opportunity i have an opportunity to win here i can either like screw myself over by being a, a like a, a smart ass and, and it'll be, I can fret it away or I can be smart. And I think that that's like, I think that those good business stories come from ambition, risk, and then self-assessment and then being clever about like truly assessing what you, what you do own and the potential of the direction that you can go in. And if that, if that looks as though you've got something that's red hot, well then, you know, get busy, mm. you know, so... Yeah, I think that, I think that that's how it, that's how it works. So yeah, the idea is that we create some more within the portfolio. I'd love to spend a little bit more time. Like I've got a side project that I'm doing that's you know it's heavily focused around hunting and gathering, like fishing, like hunting, fishing and gathering and cooking. And I'd like to shine a bit of light on that. And I'm finding that that's like you know I, f- I get a lot of enjoyment out of that and it's like raising my vibration i feel like i feel like it's a positive influence so i'd like to obviously do that and then you know like the re- the restaurant hey mate um <laughs> dog wants us to chuck the ball <laughs> and then, um you know and then and the restaurants you know i still want to play my role within the restaurants but it's not i don't need to be i don't need to be on the graph with the team all the time anymore mm. like i want to create the food i want to you know, i hopefully i can be some someone that they can you know that they can look up to or you know so like you know that they, they can get a little bit of inspiration for and then we get a group of people to think very similar to the way that we do um and we have like a common goal mm. how, how long did it sort of take you to get to that point from being you know on the pans and being a chef to being able to trust and having that that team and that kind of trust around where you're like, okay, I, I feel comfortable stepping away. It's only really Asking been in the last couple of years that I've been able to like, you know, not be like, not be completely relied upon within mm. a kitchen. You know, like I'm responsible for these kitchens, but like I'm, I, I don't place any orders. I don't, mm. do you know mm. what I mean? Like I'm like, it does, yeah, it doesn't work like that anymore. Mm. Do you, you both can speak on this, but like, what you said before about that, that poker analogy is a really good one and really interesting. And you see with different hospitality businesses, there's people that go into it and naturally rise to the position of a business person and a leader. Like, and it, it, it's, it's in any business and in, in any industry really because a lot of the time people get into business 
because they love doing something, right? It's like you're a chef and you love cooking and and the natural career progression in that industry is to either start your own business or get some exact exact role somewhere that you're happy with and whatever. Like even me in publishing, when I first started publishing, it was like, well, I really enjoy the creative process. Uh, I enjoy talking to chefs. I enjoy profiling these regions and being on the road and stuff like that. And I'll kind of figure out how to be a business person later. Mm. Do you, like, have you worked with people? And you can both talk to this, but like, there are people that rise to the position of business person in a really natural and, and, and good way. And you've obviously learnt so many lessons about how to be a proper business person, how to be a good business person along the way. Is, do, have, you, have, have you, with the ducks, I'll ask you the question, but like, do, have you sort of made some missteps in people that you've chosen to work with and things like that and they're potentially not those types of people because not everyone's business minded or business inclined i i, I can't even say a hundred percent any harder than i'm about to say 100 percent. yeah like you make so <laughs> many fucking mistakes in this game you know like you have the wrong people in you have people who transform throughout their time within mm. the business you know like i've had guys that are in very senior positions in my business and they've been in my scope at one point where I've been like, I want you fucking out of this place. Like you're in my sights right now. You mm. better you you better sort of you better you better get yourself sorted out. And like literally too, because you've got lots of guns and well, scopes <laughs> and I try not to those like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I'm sounding like I'm a mad big dog and I'm not. But like You're a big dog mate. And and, and, <laughs> I, and I really don't want to sound like that. But it's it's like there's times where you're like, you you're a problem. You're a problem for us, you know, and I, and you're not a good representation of us as a business and you you're not a you know people become a spokesman for for us. You know, and if I hear the way that somebody's been treated or been spoken to or whatever, and it's not the way that I would feel, that's not the way that I'd like to think mm. that I'd do it myself, or you know, or if there'd be some criticism around it, then it, you're then you're not doing your role properly. But there is also a time, like if you get walked on by somebody else, that you do need to to put your foot down. So there is a fine balance between standing up for what you believe in and and you know and pushing and and striving for what's best for us as a business whether that's a deal or whether that's you you know like the way that somebody's been treated or or or, you know or like stamping your authority on something um yeah it's just as a there's a fine line there's definitely people who have been right and there's definitely people who have been wrong there's been amazing people who have come through the business and there's guys you're like you know what good riddance what about what about in terms of partnerships because like you've obviously yeah, got like a, fucking <laughs> yeah well exactly lazy <laughs> in, in like, order of who you think is yeah, yeah, the partners are the best like, like, but is that just a, is that just a kind of a do you think that it's kind of lucky or do you think that it's a product of going through the process together that you all have similar ambitions the same approach to business similar values and yeah. and you kind of all make it work and, and, and you know after 12 years or is it 12 years how long have you been doing 11 years 11 years yeah. like you know, you're still you're still working together. You're still all together. Mate, the time, what I found in my journey of this is, in the early days, it was all about like, what are you doing? What am I doing? Is it fair? You know. Yeah. Was there a lot of that? A little bit of that. Yeah. Like we've all gone through our teeth. Did you have a bit of that, Simon, when you first um, bought Cavo? Because because like the thing about you, Simon, like I mean, you've been very hands on as a chef still yeah. in your roles and things like that. But you, 
when you and Tom worked together at Cavoa as head chefs and then bought the business, there's that uncertainty of, all right, well, we know what it's like to work together in the kitchen, mm. but what happens when we start delegating tasks outside the kitchen? Well, it, we had to be quite honest from the start and we sort of sat down and went like, right, let's be honest. Like, what are you good at and what am I good at? Because there's roles that you're like, you're like, who's going to write the copy for Instagram captions? Still it's like, shit. It's, yeah, yeah, it's like, all right, I think I'm best slightly better at writing, <laughs> you're slightly better at maths. Oh. You're dipping... <laughs> have you tried... Uh, yeah. Um, like, so, like, you're divvying up tasks and you have no idea if either of you actually mean to do them because it's not something you've done before. It's like, yeah. like, like who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna do the financials? Who's going to do you're, your like, best? Like, yeah, yeah, Who's, exactly. who's going like, to deal with the accounts? Who's yeah. lodging? Who's dealing with accounts? And it's like, well, like, fuck. Like, who's the best at filling a fish? Like, like, like you're, you're better at fucking salmon, so you do that. Like, this is the, it, almost the best way of fucking deciding is like, because there's no actual, like, sense to it. Yeah, but then so it comes, like, it goes, like, there's that horizontal and vertical learning that mm. happens within your business, yeah. you know? And you go, you know what? Like, I'm, I've gone... I've gone as high as I can or as high as I want to go. I now want to come the other way. I want to, I want to sort of cross-pollinate some of my skills yeah. across the business and learn. Like, I'm, I'm terrible on the computer. I'm getting better. But, mm. like, if I don't want to work on the pants, I you can't just go down to the beach and catch lobsters. You know, like, I've, got, I've got to do something. <laughs> got to do yeah. something. So, you know, you do need to, you need to, to, to you know, to cross-pollinate your mm. skills. And people so. change. I mean, like, even going back... Like when you've got chefs who work for you, you, you might have a chef from you know, 21 to 26 in your kitchen and that's a massive growing up phase for anyone. So you might get like a little fucking you know, skanky 21 year old rock up. By the time they're 26, they're a gun. Yeah. Like, like you really don't know like what you're getting sometimes. And then other chefs are just very good cooks and there might be a chef who's not as good a cook so he hasn't risen up the ranks but you know he's going to be much better at the ordering. Mm. Like, like there's, there's different skill sets within it. So it's... And yeah, you don't really know what someone's going to be like. You know, they might come to you, they might go away, they might come back. Like, you really don't know what you're getting when you get like a raw chef in. And people do grow, people do change, their skill sets change. Like, like even with Tom and I, it got to a point where I just took on more of the kitchen and Tom took on more of the other, other stuff because that's kind of where our skill sets So, was that just kind us. of a natural evolution for you? Like, how much yeah, of like, the, say, say, like, if you structured your delegations at the beginning when you first bought the business like how much of that played out as you originally intended and how much like how different was it at it the was, end from when it was at the start it was sort of you could probably tell that like some of the things we were sharing probably should have gone to one other person but like when you're two chefs you don't want to be like oh well you be the chef i'd be the fucking business guy you don't yeah. want that but it kind of just went that way and some sometimes it was like if we did a wine dinner I would do obviously do the menu. So for all our events, I ended up just doing the menu for that. And then that led to some other dishes coming on normal menu. And it kind of made more sense. It's like, well, you just write all the menus now and you just do all the wine yeah. and social media. What else did I do? It's kind of about it. That's it, mate. Pretty much it. It's enough. It's two, just, it's just the two full-time jobs. Yeah, I um, think that as, you, as it progresses, you move away from what are the other guys doing? Yeah, and it yeah. Becomes very t- it obviously becomes very task oriented. There's tasks that need to be fulfilled. Mm. And like in a business of our size, like there's there's many people that work there. There's, there's a strong admin team. My concerns aren't, you know, what's my other business partners doing? I don't give a shit. You mm. know, like, yeah. like obviously I care, but I care more for are they happy doing what they're doing? Yeah, you know, yeah. Do they feel good about what they're doing? When it comes the a bit of trust, because yeah, like there, there can be a bit of like who's working more. 
kind of thing. Especially, especially when, when you move away from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I think you can tie yourself in knots. Oh, yeah. When yeah, you're like, how do you mate, call- I'm working fucking heaps more than you guys. Or yeah. I'm, like, I'm doing the openings and you're, none of you guys... I'm unloading a van at one o'clock yeah, in the morning because yeah, yeah. I'm doing an off-site event. What the fuck? It, and mate, especially when it's like you know in the kitchen compared to in the office. You do you. I'm going to do me. Like, we all know what's fair. And you, if you don't do the right thing, you know. Mm. You, like, if you're taking the piss for too long... You're like, you know what? My boys are working. I'm not working like they am. They are. This isn't fair, mm. you know. So you can feel it. And mm. I think it's tricky. It is tricky though. Sometimes it depends because it all. It, it, a lot of it comes down to personal, you know, personalities and mm. personal dynamics. And it seems like you guys both have uh, found a real harmony with the people that you're working with, and everyone's on the same page. But like, yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of the, like. Some of the hardest things to do with your mates are live together, travel together, and uh, run a business together, or something like that. And you kind of find out more about each yeah. other through that process. Well, you, you, you you gravitate to people, and you kind of know. You kind of pick. You be like, like with friends. I'm like, I wouldn't own a business with you. That'd be awful. Because yeah. like, like you just <laughs> clash or whatever. Then some people you just, you just kind of like you, know, you, you never fully know, but you can just sort of tell. You have an inkling. You're like, I think our skill sets kind of interlock them together complement each other and I think we have the same as long as you've got the same kind of goal as I found with Tom and I were quite different people and different skill sets we had the sort of the same goal at the end it was like let's just do the fucking best restaurant we can do with this space and this much money mm. like and, what and can you do? That's yeah it. and, that, mm. and that, that was always the goal was like let's just try and make every every little thing as best as best we can mm-hmm. and as long as we were both sort of working towards that it was generally fine yeah cool what um what aspects of your job do you we'll start with? Do you find the most rewarding and enjoy the most now? And then we'll move on to what's the shittest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy like I enjoy the new menu creation side of things and seeing the guys' reaction to it. Also, the collaborative nature of that. Mm. Hey, we're going to change the menu. Like, like this is what I think we should do. This is a bit of the direction I'm thinking. And the, the other guys' contributions towards that, I really enjoy that process. Mm. How much? How much people like younger chefs love that as well. Love that. Like they froth it when they get like their first little bit, first even like first little bit of a dish on the menu or first whole dish on the yeah, menu. Yeah, like I, I, I added, I contributed that component yeah. of the dish. And I remember when it first happened to me. Like I was mm. like, oh, I just put like half a dish on the menu. Yeah, it's on the menu. I made yeah. that. You and know, then a the customer says they like it. Yeah, and you're like. <laughs> I think there's a lot of pride that comes with that. It's also hugely collaborative and that's how you, you build like team momentum and, you know, like it's, that's how you bond a team, I think. Mm. Um, the shit stuff. Yeah. It's heaps of shit stuff. Yeah. I just, yeah, I Anything, actually, I like quite a, like the problem solving. Like when things go, to, when things do go shit and yeah. you like, mm. you need to problem solve to fix it. I actually quite like that. Mm. Then there's just like bad behavior that needs to be, knocked on the head like, I don't mind firing somebody like I, I can I can if you if you fucked us over I feel quite it's quite easy for me to do yeah. but um, somebody who's trying really hard but they don't quite cut it and you go talk to them about it I don't like that stuff at all. yeah, yeah. Okay. so in, in little interest staff politics where it's like oh they you can tell there's a bit of thing between these two and maybe they're not quite doing it and you're like oh fuck 
Can't you all just work? <laughs> oh, mate, we've had some doozies. Like, uh, we've had some, like, you know, guys cheating on their partners mm. and all sorts of stuff, you know. And, yeah. and it's, it's, all, it's all been happening at work and they all of them work there, mm. you know, and you're just like... That's hospitality for you, I think, yeah, across the board, guys, eh? Just yeah. keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're gonna, I was going to move on, but... Is so there any is there any uh, any of the venues at the moment that you're that you're in charge of that like I suppose it's all really exciting. I mean, you did you so you're um, Nimbo and Melbourne, yeah. Like that's pretty fucking cool. Like They're fun, yeah, <laughs> very fun. Yeah, like, <laughs> Melbourne's awesome. Like yeah, I went out. We went there. Yeah, you know, right. I, I ate there, and we we went for a bucks party at Urban Surf, and yeah, like. Fun. The waves, Urban so. surf's the best thing ever. Yes. Like, I want to take my surfboard every single time I go to Melbourne now. Yeah, well, like, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we get to surf. I'm still a shit surfer. Have you got a uh, Have you got a lifetime pass to Urban Surf now? I got something. You like fucking that. bastard! <laughs> 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 I got something similar to that. Yeah, so. We're, we're so able good. to go in the pool. Yeah, yeah. So, that's epic. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's really fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, good times. I, um, yeah, and I don't know. It's just. Such a good vibe place that I assume that I'm like. I mean, when we were there, obviously we were there for a box party, so things are but already going to be go good to the vibes. Limiter, like, you know, you can do 400 people of service, and now we're restricted to 75 people yeah, on the side at one point. Like, we've we've lost enormous amounts of money in that venue mm. because of COVID. You mm. know, and we had to shut it down twice now. Like, it's 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 a fucking punish. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like what this virus is doing to our industry. Like if you t- if you tally up, there's definitely been quite a few fatalities attached to it. We get no we get no new staff because of it. Mm. We've had businesses that have had to close down. Like I feel like we've been very supported by the New South Wales Premier, but the Victorian Premier he's he's a bit of a cock to be honest. Like it's kind of like close it all down and, and, and such late notification. Like the last one was Valentine's Day. We're fully booked. Yeah. We buy huge amounts of produce. That, you know. On, you know, and then Friday, Friday uh, before Valentine's Day, shut it down. You yeah. know, we're holding th- 40, 50 grand worth of stock yeah. and half of it's perishable. I think like the... So it's brutal. You, you could take shutdowns if there was government support. Yeah. If they said like, yeah, look, shut it down. It's for let the best. Let us know your invoices. Let us know what Yeah, you're yeah, doing. yeah. We'll cover something. Like that would be fine. And that like, I mean, when it covers first started happening, that was that everyone was like, like surely if they shut us down they're going to give us some money mm. like surely and they're like but it should not, be like, like it should be payroll like it, it there well, should yeah, be like I mean, payroll relief and yeah, yeah. tax relief yeah you know? I mean, and, there, and there like, was a bit of that but yeah. there was nothing, nothing substantial enough to i mean it was enough to to for you to take out take on less debt to get through yeah or you of, take uh, on debt yeah. you take on you like you borrow money from the government to keep your business afloat yeah and it's like well, that's still dead. Yeah, exactly. I still to pay that back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's even like you know, rent, like, yeah, rent, sure. Like, it's like, well, yeah, like, like the repayments on it is cheap, but it's yeah. still dead. It's like, oh, you're only paying half rent. It's like, yeah, but I'm gonna pay 150 percent in, in 18 months. Like, yeah. it's gonna yeah, go yeah, back yeah. up. So, yeah, it's um, no one loses. Yeah, yeah. I think you could it's take it if, if there was if there was more government help, you could take lockdowns and it'd be and it'd be fine. Like, mm. but it's just no support. Mm. Mm. Like, I don't actually give a fuck. Um. Let's change a little bit mm. because I want to talk about a little bit about fishing and hunting and stuff because I, 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 I'm not a hunter. I need to get into it, eh? Mm. need to get up on Mount Oosley up there and knock off a couple of deer. There's so many deer up that There's hill. There's well, many deer up there. Yeah. You're just not allowed, to, yeah. not allowed to do that. Shh. Um, when, did you, when did you 
tell us about this journey of like entering into fishing and diving and hunting and like was it something to do with sustainability first or was it like you just got into it first and then well, the sustainability I've, comes along with it when i was a when i was an apprentice i used to make twelve thousand dollars a year it's good money it's good money mate <laughs> i'll take it any day yeah. more than and this podcast pays. i was like i was i was pretty broke and i was living out at home i was working in the city and i remember meeting this chef his name was just coelho was his name and he's a legend and he talked to me about this underwater world of spearfishing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, he just painted, he was an amazing storyteller. He just painted this incredible story. And I was like, that's it. And went out and bought a spear gun, you know, got some stuff. Always been drawn to the ocean. And then started diving. And then started diving for food, like pretty heavily. And that was when I was 18 years old, you know, 17 years old. I started like working in my, just before I turned 18, I started working in Stubach. And you know, met this guy, Joss, and he sort of talked about this world. And yeah, been diving for craze and catching fish and shooting kings and all that sort of stuff since. And, you know, my whole apprenticeship years, I would, you know, buy a 10 kilo bag of rice and a couple of condiments and sauces. And I would, you know, eat fish and rice for breakfast before going in, you know, I'd go and dive off the point at Bondi, you know, shoot a king or a buddy or a goat fish or whatever and and you know and cook up a piece of fish and have some rice and a few greens and off i'd go to work i was fit as a fiddle i was healthy and i'd go and work in these kitchens and get flogged and you know enjoy and learn about food and then it just became it just became massively a part of my life and you know you do, you do trips and then you learn about your breath hold and you you know you when you sort of break that sort of four minute static mark and you start breaking that 20 meter dive limit and all that sort of stuff it all starts coming together and you're like fuck i'm i'm really enjoying this and then i found a, quite a natural progression that went into animals land-based you know <coughs> felt like i had a pretty good understanding of how the ocean works and you know that like the tides and the currents and the seasons of it and you know when the snapper turn up what does that exactly mean what's coming next um you know what should you what do you expect to find when do the craze march in all that sort of stuff and then it was like okay what's happening land-based you know and it was my journey as a cook where i was like okay you know we used to buy like whole cuts of animals and break them in and you see that change happening to like parted out cuts of meat just you know you know pre pre-done and then we've gone back to that whole cuts thing and, and then we've always sort of run whole, like whole cuts from the birth of the ducks but it was like how can I have access to this stuff? I feel confident now to break an animal down and how do, I, how do I age it? How do I look after it? But then it's also, you know, like, oh, there's, there's gall fat. You know, what am I going to do with this mm. gall fat? Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, going to make a potato galette and I'll wrap it in that or I'll make parcels of meat and wrap it in that. You know, and, you, and then you start doing that with wild foods like wild goats and, you know, wild deer and all that sort of stuff. Um, eating the internal like eating the organ meat and mm. you know celebrating the heart on the night of a kill which is, which is something you can't buy you just can't buy those experiences yeah. you know mm. and, and i found myself like that's basically the only protein that we eat at home mm. it's like deer goats and the fish that we catch or the craze we die for and you know like there's something really primal about taking the life of an animal field dressing it well carting it off the mountain and feeding your family with it. And I found that there's so many stages of that reward. And I think that, that bites back into that chef thing where we just, where we need those little, <laughs> little, like those little accolades along the way. 
And I found when you hunt, that experience of hunting is celebrated five or six times along the journey. You know, I've found an animal. I've been able to stalk in on an animal. They don't know that I'm there. I've been able to take its life well. Like, it sounds hectic, but you want to be a good killer. Mm. You know, and I've, I've transitioned into the bow as well, so that's even closer. So I do both the bow and the rifle. Um, the bow is very, very intense, you know, like it, you're very close. It's extremely quiet. It's you and the animal. It's very, very difficult. Um, the rifle is a very affecting, effective tool of, for taking an animal's life. Um, and then, you know, you, 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 there's that celebration of I found an animal, I killed it well, and then there's, you know, there's honouring that animal and saying thanks to that animal. Then there's, then there's a field dressing an animal well, where you don't split any of the, you know, of the belly open, or you don't split any of the, you know, of the stomach lining open, and you, you, nothing gets contaminated. Then it's, then there's hanging and aging well. Then there's breaking it down well into its parts. Then there's cooking it well. You're back and into along, a chef mode. Then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it turns very quickly from an animal into meat. Mm. And then when it's hanging well and aging, you're like, oh. Man, it's so tender. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of deer legs hanging in my cool room at home. And, um, you know, and then you break those down and you, you cook it well and then it's celebrated. And then you, you will be at the table and my family will be like, so tell us the story of the deer that we're eating tonight. You know, and on each packet when I, you know, cry back and, like, and put it in my freezer, you know, it's, it's written on it what animal it is from what trip. So I have the, the nostalgia and that memory of, of okay so we're going to eat some some red deer you know backstrap meat here or some you know some rump cap oh that's from that big old stag that i snuck up to i was at you know 1400 meters you know it was a shot at 300 odd meters and you know he was field dressed well like you tell the story like you take you're taken back to that place and i think it's extremely primal mm. but it's very very rewarding and i i, I just feel crazy as this sounds i just i just feel it so deeply ingrained in our dna like we were yeah. all hunters and gatherers mm. at some point we just changed our tune and started hunting and gathering on our little platform mm. you know? how how did you first get into hunting like how because i feel like i mean I, I take for granted that i i you know grew up a lot down the south coast and was just sort of it was a part of the everyone did it and so you learnt quite mm. simply but like I've got mates up here now who are like I want to learn to spearfish and I'm like alright you should have done it's, that when you were growing well, yeah. Also, but it, yeah but it's like I would love you to teach you to spearfish but you've got to kind of commit to like the process you've got to spend money and you know like once I tell you all the money that you need to spend and the process of learning to do it properly because you're not out, you don't want to be out there shooting gropers or just shooting fish you don't want to eat because mm. you're just going to leave them in the water and all that sort of stuff. Like you've got to commit to it and it's a bit of a process to learn from scratch as an adult. And I assume the same process for hunting. Like I'd love to get into hunting, but it's like, I don't know if I've almost like the bandwidth the at the, the moment. Like, go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm, I want to be a hunter. Yeah, okay. My suggestion to you would be to apply for a firearms license. Yeah, okay. And like, and it's like, oh, it, it, there's such a hillbilly attitude towards it. But the, the, we need people that think like yourself involved in this industry so we can try and change some of the attitudes that the general public and the general population have mm. towards hunters. Mm. Because there are those guys that sink Bundy cans and shoot animals off the back of utes and, you know, put their foot on an animal and do a grip and grin. 
Mm. And there's other guys that completely use it as a sustainable, ethical, organic, free-ranging meat source. And I'm of the latter. Yeah, I, I kind of... Yeah. My thoughts on hunting, like, like obviously I'm for hunting and the reason behind it. I can't get around the people who seem like they en- enjoy the killing part too much. And I'm, like, I'm not sure quite where that stands with me as someone who... Like, I feel like I, I would kill an animal. I feel like I should be willing to do that as a chef who uses lots of meat, uses lots of wild meat. But the, yeah, the kind of, the look of joy with like imposing the dead animal, that just kind of, that, that hits me in a slightly weird way. Mm, yeah. And I think it, it, it is that line between like the way, the way you described it then was, was kind of beautiful and that sort of made more sense. Yeah. There's such a mixed bag of emotions that's attached to it. You know, like I, I shot a very big stag this year and we, I've eaten every scary Where? out of him in the Riverina. <coughs> so like, down near, near, near Wagga. Mm-hmm. And I, a part of me was sad. I was like, I've killed a king, mm. you know, and he was on his way out. Like he'd, he'd already hit his peak and he was starting to fall back, as you can tell when you observe their teeth and their antlers. And, but it was like, I'm going to honour this animal. I'm going to eat everything that I can out of mm. him. We, you know, we celebrated him. We ate his heart and like the fire, all that sort of stuff. And... Then there's those the meat animals that you're like, okay, I'm going to shoot a meat doe, or I'm going to shoot a young spiker or whatever. And there is like a, there is like, fuck yeah, like I, that was done well because, mm. and you and you'll know it if you engage with it and you and you have a bad shot on an animal where you where you miss hit an animal where you've rushed something, or hasn't gone to plan, and you hurt something. And then you see that that animal is maimed and then you need to track it for the next couple of hours and and finish the job. Mm. And sometimes that doesn't happen. You don't find them. And then you lay in your swag at nighttime and you just turn yourself inside out with guilt, you know. So I think that for me that's where that celebration of like... Is from the yes. the technique, yeah. The, like the, as much the, as technical process, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like yes, okay, that was a that was a good kill, mm. you know. And it sounds really ruthless, but mm. I think it's definitely a part of it. We've got. The, uh, it's interesting to talk about that dichotomy of the people that drink rum and you know run over ruse in their hilux, <laughs> like mm. because that's something tough that we face in Australia. Like I don't know whether or not. Like, I love watching hunting shows and I listen to fucking hunting podcasts, even though I don't hunt. Um, and it well, seems mate, like... You're there. The, I know, right? The, the, it seems like the culture in, in the States or, you know, elsewhere, like in, say, Scandinavia or Canada or wherever, it's like a, it's, it's had a longer, you know, hunting history and there's a different approach to wildlife management perhaps. Mm. But in Australia, like... There's a lot of fucking rednecks out there that that enjoy killing animals. Like it's yeah. it's unfortunate, but yeah, that's the there like that the video of the dude running over emus in his car, or yeah, you know just, the way that yeah. yeah, and and so yeah, there is that. And but do you think that that do you think like I, I'm I'm not a part of the hunting world, but is that does that infect infect the perception a lot? I think still? that you just you just need to you just need to do it. You need to conduct yourself with a strong set of morals and, and, mm. and somewhat gracefully, you hope. And I think that 
like that's what's given me so much drive around this 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 hunting and fishing and cooking show that I'm creating at the moment is because I I I want to represent this way of living and mm. being a subsistence hunter gatherer mm. rather than the redneck side of things. And I like I'm half Swedish, so I've obviously spent a bit of time over there. And you know, like the hunting industry in Scandinavia is is a billion dollar industry. Mm. You go to the US, it's it's a multi billion dollar industry. And even in Australia, there's a lot of money that's tied up in it. But you know, we in other countries they manage their game. You know, there's game wardens that that look to see and, and understand the populations of animals within their area under their control. And then they issue the, you know, they give their guidance around how many tags should be released. And you go and pay it. Imagine if you could go down to Illawarra Council and you could pay a tag, you could pay, say, you know, 150 bucks and get three tags to shoot some deer and you could bow hunt in the, in the, in the, in the, in the escarpment there, mm. you know, or there was a game warden that monitored that area because the, the deer populations are getting out of control. And yeah, yeah. It's and the same nothing. Yeah. Like they don't get used for anything. Symbio takes a couple of them. Mm. So, like, we have this attitude now where there's just like life lost. Let's mm. take their lives that life's lost. One of the properties that I hunt up in the, in the Hunter Valley, they've had eight and a half thousand animals culled out of that over the last two years. Wow. But, like, we have we have a country where we still have a large number of people that have like a food deficit mm. and a quality nutrient deficit mm. and it's like we're now killing the most nutrient dense red meat protein available in australia today and leaving it on the ground to rot it, it just seems so fucking ridiculous to me why do you think we are so behind i think we, that we, we have an attitude it. towards in motorcycles and guns as with crime and it's really interesting because i used to race motorcycles as well i used to race road bikes and like in australia anything attached to a motorcycle it's bikey crime you know yeah, right like it's you know it's like it's that bikey mm. culture in italy in europe you're a pilot do you know what <laughs> i mean you're like a, you're a champion you're a pilot you know like <laughs> you're like you're so brave you know mm. that's the attitude towards somebody who rides who races a motorcycle and here, we don't have any of that. And I think with guns, it's like this underworld of like hillbilly and guns. But then you go to Europe, you know, like you go to Scandinavia and it's, it's, pri- it's a privilege, mm. you know, like the, the it's moose an up, and elk an upper class thing in the UK as well. Like owning a gun would be a, in the UK especially would be a... Yeah, they're all posh fucking fox yeah. hunters yeah, and shotgun. Yeah. In, yeah. in your barber yeah. jacket yeah. and your shotgun over your arm. Like yeah. that's just the kind of look. <coughs> I mean, also like... like Australia doesn't really have that much of an appetite for game. I don't well, quite I know changing. what that is. I was, yeah, I definitely think it's coming along, but it's still, you'll still get people who, who won't eat venison, won't eat emu, won't eat, I mean, emu's, emu's delicious, but it's a, it's a little bit out there for some people. Mm. But so many people turn their noses up. Um, I'm but I think that it's changing. Sure it I, I think that alongside this sustainable transition that yeah. we're seeing, people are realizing, okay, cool. So there's, there's an incredibly sustainable meat source, yeah. source that's available like one to me. How world. do I engage with it? Mm. The thing is, the guys who hunt and who are, who are interested in their cooking, they've been enjoying this for years. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I can cook you meals with deer that will fucking blow your mind. Mm. You know, and it's like, and because my initial interest around it was like, deer meat shit, you know, it's hard to work with. Mm. And, I, and then I kind of started hunting and 
I was like, this is this is in this is my favorite meat. That's my favorite red meat to pro- protein. What's your favorite cut and dish when you uh you have some venison? There's different things for different times. Yeah. Species of deer? Reds and samba. Okay. Yeah. Cut? Uh, kill, kill night or kill day is uh, heart and skirt steak. Mm. Um, love the livers out of it, but a, li- a lot of the livers I've been donating to Ava, my, my daughter, our daughter. That's, um, a, that's a great little donation to make. <laughs> if you've got a daughter that's into deer liver. That's pretty uh, How old? She's 10 months. <laughs> nice. She's been eating like deer musum and curry and everything, so she's up for it. Um, and then the skirt steak on a kill night because it, you just like you, you it's basically the diaphragm yeah. you yeah. that back and you cook that. It's phenomenal. Um, and then a highly aged rump cap, I find is is just it's emotional. How mm. good that meat is. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Um, do you? I think one of the interesting things here in Australia is that, I mean, I'm going to compare it to the States because I know a little bit about hunting culture in the States, but it's such a huge industry, as we say. It's got a lot of history. And there's, like, people out there that are, like, you know, public spokespeople for hunting and there's probably more awareness about sustainability and about wildlife management and all those sorts of things. Here in Australia, I don't think anyone really... Unless you were, like, ingrained into the world of hunting... There wasn't a understanding of the public that it is a sustainable, it is a more sustainable alternative to purchasing meat. Um, probably, it, it's the most sustainable alternative to eating meat. Like it's the most sustainable option, mm. um, basically, unless you're eating cane toad legs or something like that, or you're eating <laughs> feral eat cats. It, we were talking. You can. Yeah. We were talking about. We we're actually talking about this the other day. And we said, "What's the most sustainable meat you eat? You can eat." And we said, "It's probably feral cats." Right, because they actually actively kill heaps and heaps of wildlife. Anyway, let's not uh, let's not talk about eating feral cats anymore. <laughs> but um, people have. I think I think people like definitely myself and others have began to gain an understanding of the sustainability of hunting and that there's a culture of um, you know respect for animals, a respect for the environment and stuff that is associated with hunting. And they've come to that through chefs who hunt, mm. through people like yourself and James Viles and David Moyle. And we had John Rowley on the podcast as well. He's a good mate of mine too. Yeah. 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 We all, all those guys we knock around and hunt together. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, John Rowley, he's... He's a good, he's a good, I like him. Yeah. He's a good mate of mine. And Moyley, Moyley's like one of my best mates. So yeah, okay. we spend a lot of time together. Yeah. But do you, like, do you guys have little chats within yourselves or do you have at all like an internal dialogue that's like, and, and you know, you got this show and stuff that like, I have a platform with which to change the perception of hunting and like, how can I utilize that well, as best I can? That, that's what I, I think that we're starting to come to the realization of. It's like, okay, so we've got some, fantastic sponsorship behind the production of the show like i'm sponsored by yeti and Lyca and patagonia mm. and pirate life brewing um lower boots it's hey, a know, good good like good lineup. Good setup you know yeah, yeah like you, you've got amazing equipment gopros another one um you you know you've got incredible support you've got incredible equipment and you've also got very reputable brands that are, are on board. And it's like, I, I honestly feel now that I have an opportunity to do the right thing by, the, by those guys, but also by myself and by the change that I'd like to see. So it's like, it's a, it's a very, very interesting time. But I think that 
one of the things that have gone on is there's, there hasn't been a lot of information disclosed to the general public around the actions that are taken from either the Greens or, the, or influenced by the Greens or the DPI. Um, and, you know, like we're still, we're still fox baiting. We still, te- we, we still use 1080. You know, we're still killing vast numbers of animals. You know, we're still using helicopters to, you know, to shoot deer or shoot pigs from the, from the sky. And all that stuff gets left on the ground. And that huge influx of rotting meat creates another byproduct where you know a fox population explodes or the pig population explodes so you know and then it's it's unnatural to have so many dead animals laying on the ground Mm. that's Mm. that's, that doesn't happen in nature you Mm. know like a dead animal is taken is is come along and picked up by scavengers so if you increase the amount of dead animals you increase the amount of scavengers and anything that is eating rotting meat you know usually has some level of health risk attached Mm. to them Mm. so you know the deer the deer is prized by every animal in the jungle every meat eater of the jungle prizes the deer and even we did the whole reason why these animals were introduced into australia in the first place was to secure a hunting future Mm. you know a secure a food source and a hunting future because we have paradise for these animals mm. and that's why those populations have exploded so when you've got guys like greenpeace oh sorry like the green sorry that are that are encouraging for baiting and you know and 1080 to be used and the culling of deer because we have a hoofed animal that doesn't deserve to be here it's a it's a fucking stupid attitude mm. and like i tell you now like you go out to the bush and you watch an animal that's you you see an animal that's been poisoned and you see the end of that animal, the end of that life that that animal has, and then you want to call a hunter a bad person or unethical, you're a fucking clown, mm. you know. So, and then you've got guys who have so much reverence towards the animal. Like, you become, you become the greatest spokesman for the environment, you know, because you want to protect and secure that for yourself. You want to see that those environments are kept beautiful, you know. Do you so, see, is there, do you see people... Like in your world, from the hunting world, is there a? Because I, I mean, the there's there's the shooters and fishers political party now, and there's obviously a lot of political lobby from hunting in places like the states and stuff like that. They have influence. Is there enough? I mean, you you guys can do what you can do as people with a public profile and educating people via social media or TV shows. But uh, do you see people in the hunting community? Um, putting pressure in into politics to make legislative change that, like, you know, produces better sustainable outcomes. I think that <clears throat> I think it's also one of those situations where the, the that hunting community gets a stigma attached, and they get labelled. Mm. You know, like I, I first remember like learning about aquaponics, and you know, there's this dude he's got dreadlocks and he's you know like he's a bit rough around the edges and he's talking about the benefits of aquaponics and and how we can grow all the food that we need for society and it's like the representation the concept is fantastic but the representation doesn't fit into the norm of what we see today in today's society as somebody who should be a spokesman for change Mm. you know so it's kind of like when you do get a bloke that's wearing an orange and black flanny that says, and he's got "I love Bundy" tattooed on his forehead, <laughs> <laughs> talking about how good guns are. Uh, I think that it that becomes a hard pill to swallow. Mm. So I think that I think that we need to have we do have some great representation, but it it needs to also not be so fucking extreme. You know, like mm. I actually think that the gun control laws should be tighter. 
mm. you know, and a lot of the gun control lobbyists are, 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 talk, are calling for more relaxed laws. So I, I don't actually agree with that. I, I think that the skill, I think there should be yearly or by, you know, or um, every two or three years that you have your skills tested to make sure that you are accurate, that you are, that you can engage with this. And then I think that we can start thinking about, if you've got highly skilled shooters on the ground, I think you can start to think about opening up larger areas of land that have been closed off to hunting where you can use hunters to eradicate the problem of having an introduced species that has no natural predator mm. rather than shutting it down, flying a, a, you know, flying a helicopter over that area for a couple of days and blasting everything that moves. Mm-hmm. You can create an industry where people, you know, they're buying firearms, they're buying bows, they're buying hunting clothes, they're buying camping stuff, you know, they're engaging with the bush. They become spokesmen and conservationists for the outdoors, <coughs> and they're also, you know, they're also supplying themselves with wild, organic, sustainable, free-ranging meat. Mm. Right. I, I, if you were looking from the outside in, you'd be like, if you're an alien looking at Earth mm. and the way that we do things, you'd be like. They're fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like they're, they're, they're just hungry. fucking idiots. They're, they're paying and there's all this to wasted meat. To yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, why don't you yeah. just do that? When you guys eat that, that shit up. <laughs> Try in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, we're also paying for helicopters to get in the sky well, to yeah. kill all the meat that's on the ground. And that's anyway, your taxpayer right? dollars. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, these guys that shot out there, that was five hundred thousand dollars over a week. Mm. You know, that's your that's your and I taxpayer dollars, and yeah. I, I'd like to have. I'd like to see those dollars being spent a little bit differently. Like New South Wales alone spent $14 million on eradicating deer last yeah. year. Like, when you have a group of people who why do don't you do take that type of Why don't you take that type of resource and you create an industry mm. that can supply meat into the cities? And, and, these, and you know, like, why don't we feed homeless people with this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, anything is better than wasting it. But why don't we create regional jobs? Like, mm. I've had a piece in The Australian about this, you know, like... Why don't we take the money that's spent on eradicating deer to create an industry? Mm. Yeah, why don't yeah. we set up mobile harvesting? Why don't we set up like why don't we educate people from regional areas so there's an income an income source attached yeah. to this? Mm. And it's it's so difficult to get wild meat like that into a restaurant. Exactly. It's the next step. It's like, just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, can hey Mark, can you put the deer through the restaurants? Yeah. I'd love to put the deer through the restaurants, but I just can't. Yeah. You know? And I take more care of that animal than any guy in a slaughterhouse does. Mm. You know? Mm. All right, we should wrap it up. Tell us about the show before we finish. Yeah, plug it. When it's is called, it on? It's called Catch and Cook. It's just going to be. It's going to be a YouTube series. We're going to cut oh, okay. it all together and enter it into the BAMP short, short film festival. Yeah, okay. In the outdoor space. Um, yeah, so we've got like four hunts this year. We've well, four trips. So we did the Red Deer Raw. That was with David Moyle and, and my mate Dave Nogood. Um, we did a fly fishing trip up into the Snowy Mountains. That was with Joe Barrett. Mm-hmm. and um, Mickey Finn and then we've got a Dartmouth trip so this is a big water system in Victoria we use boats to access and climb up high and that's what we're chasing after Samba that's the most elusive big bodied most mm. difficult animal to mm-hmm. hunt in Australia and then we've got a spear fishing and fishing trip to 1770 Agnes Waters Epic. so yeah, pretty sick. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, that's exciting. When's it coming out? Is it out? When's it out? No, we're going to release them all in like November after we film them all. Oh, like, okay, right. And then release them one week after each other. And okay. hopefully someone will see that and be like, you know what? We like what these guys are doing. Mm. Let's get some of it. It's all on a shoestring yeah. budget. Well, lucky the executives of Netflix and Chef's Table listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That'll do. Mark, 
Thanks so much, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Cheers. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.